today on Tea and Teaching. Progress at uh, and attainment at Key Stage 2 and 4 is considerably lower for previous looks after children. I think the average Key Stage 4, to get a bit technical, the average Key Stage 4 attainment 8 score for previous looks after children was 32.7 in 2021-22 compared to 48.8 for all pupils, so it's quite a big difference. If they've arrived at school and the care experience, opportunities to spot and meet needs will have been missed along the way. You just think about a child going from a birth family to a foster family to a second or third foster family, moving across the country to a permanent placement, all the different health visitors and professionals involved. Um, and every time they move, they're starting again. So straight away as children arrive in school, it's what are their needs? How can we meet their needs? I think a lot of what is most important in our schools is rooted in the relationships that we all have with one another in our schools, isn't it? Um, when you're a teacher, you are teaching through the medium of relationships. Um, it, it's a different kind of relationship, teacher to pupil. It's not like a parent-child relationship. It's not like a friendship relationship. But there is a relationship there. And for children, especially care-experienced children, those in the care system who may experience a lot of instability, the teachers they see at school, if you go to secondary school, the same one for five years, you will see teachers there day after day after day. You might change your foster home two or three times in that five years, but those teachers will still be there. Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, as always, it's Mike Harwell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, buddy. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. Who are we speaking to today? Well, Mike, we're going to be talking to Becky Brooks from Adoption UK. And it's just important just to take a moment that we are going to be talking about students with experience of care, experience of adoption and experience of traumatic events, including domestic violence. But that's who we're going to be speaking to today, Mike. Yeah, and I think that's a really important conversation for us to have. Um, You know, there are a group of students within our education system who maybe aren't given the attention that some other groups are uh, given. Uh, and I think it's important as well after that we, we highlight today, we're going to use the term um, care experienced. Um, you might hear in your schools uh, terms like looked after children, but the care experienced term we're going to use today just encompasses every student that has an experience of the care system who maybe not necessarily currently in care, um, but have been through something like foster homes, care system, adoption, um, so I think it's really important after we highlight that before we go and speak to Becky. No, absolutely. So everyone go away, uh, get a cup of tea, get a biscuit. And it's an abs- it's a brilliant conversation, Becky, really uplifting. We talk about some stuff that's really important. So get that tea, get that biscuit, and we'll be back in a moment with Becky Brooks from Adoption UK. <laughs> Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We are lucky enough to be joined today by Becky Brooks from Adoption UK. Becky, welcome to the pod. Hello, thanks for having me. Ah, it's our absolute pleasure talking about something that is so important. Uh, we were just talking off pod about how important it is and how much me and Mike are looking forward to this. Um, do you want to give us a quick background into, into your story, Becky, before anything? Oh, okay. Uh, Well, okay. I'm Becky Brooks. Obviously, we've got that far. I I currently work at Adoption UK as the Education Policy Advisor. 
um, which is traumatic for me because I used to be a teacher. When I was a teacher, I knew what all the job titles meant, but now I work outside of teaching and none of the job titles mean anything to me. Um, but yes, I used to be a secondary school teacher for a long time. Um, I've done some other random jobs. I've worked abroad in Romania with children who were raised in Romania's, um, we would call them orphanages, but they don't call them that, um, which was kind of a crash course in everything to do with care experience, um, attachment and trauma. Um, I was a foster carer for a long time. I'm now an adoptive parent. And that that really is how I come to work at Adoption UK and have it brings all of my life interest together, really, to have uh, a passion for the education of care experienced children. And I think this is a, a really interesting topic to talk about because I know as teachers um, and as educators, we often we, we we do know the students we are working with who are care experienced. Like, unfortunately, sometimes that's just we've we've had little notes down on the register, especially when we're kind of early on in our teaching career. Um, do you have anything kind of stats wise that we need to know about kind of care experienced children in our UK school systems? Yeah, I saw the, the Department of Education in England in particular collects uh, data on care experienced children. It collects them on children who are currently looked after and those are really easily accessible and a lot of data and information is collected and shared. And I expect most of your listeners will be familiar with the kind of data that, that we know about uh, the attainment of looked after children and um, exclusions and, and absenteeism and some of the data that's collected. I think what's less well known about is the data that's collected on previously looked after children. And by that, we mean children that have been in care, but have now left care uh, and moved to a permanent family. And that could be through adoption. It could be through a special guardianship order into a kinship care arrangement or a friends and family care arrangement. Um, so these are children that are no longer in care, but have all the, the childhood experiences very similar to children who are in care. Um, the data for those children has been collected only quite recently and until recently was called experimental um, because the, it was hard for them to actually locate these children to, to be able to get the data. But what we do know um, is that progress at uh, and attainment at Key Stage 2 and 4 is considerably lower for previous sorts of children. I think the average key stage four, to get a bit technical, the average key stage four attainment eight score for previous looks after children was 32.7 in 2021-22 compared to 48.8 for all pupils. So it's quite a big difference. Um, and there are differences between the cohorts of children too. We don't have data on special educational needs. Um, we do know that that is higher among looks after children and Adoption UK research suggests it's similarly high uh, amongst previously looks after children with... As with lots of children, social, emotional and mental health needs, <clears throat> excuse me, being um, hugely overrepresented, the most common primary area of special educational need. So <clears throat> these are children who have been have experienced significant lack of stability in their early childhoods. Three quarters of adopted children will have experienced documented abuse and neglect. Um, they will all have been through the care system. They will all have lost their first families. Um, enormous amounts of instability that leads to delays in identifying any special needs or any sometimes physical health needs and other things and all of that really can have a knock-on effect once they start education I think what a lot of people don't know about adoption is that the average age for a child to be adopted is three to three and a half so it isn't that long before they're starting school that these massive changes are happening in their lives and then we throw them into the school system and say you know off you go like go and learn to read and write and do good things um but the foundation they've had uh, are quite different from the foundations that some other children will have experienced if they've had a more stable background really. Thanks for that Becky I think it's it's really 
kind of humbling to hear the statistics behind it. And, you know, it's really obvious to listen to that, that these children start life on the back foot. Yeah. Um, they start at a real kind of disadvantage compared to other students. We've all, I'm sure almost everyone in education has at some point had a student in their, their classroom who is from a, you know, as experienced care or, or come through that, that system. What can we as teachers do to be on the front foot to support those students and to give them that foot up that they, they're going to need at some point in their education um, in our schools? Yeah, look, I mean, this is difficult for schools, isn't it? Because I used to be a secondary school teacher and, you know, it feels like every time you turn on the news, somebody is telling you, schools, you're not responsible for this and you should be teaching children this and you need to take account of that. And it's a lot. And my teacher training was a one-year PGCE, most of which was in some kind of classroom in the backwater in Lancashire somewhere. And, um, you know, it, it's really hard to get training in every single thing you need to have training on. Obviously, I'm going to say training. I can't help it. Um, and I think um, BBC Teach have just done these these new materials, which are great and available on the BBC Teach website. They're 15-minute videos. They've got lived experience uh, included in them, children and young people speaking. So these are a great introduction to the kinds of experiences these children and young people are having uh, in our education system. But I think if we're going to speak more specifically, I would say... Um, one of the key things really is to is to have a presumption of need. If you know that a child is care experienced, let's assume that they might have additional needs um, and, and let's do everything we can to remove the delays and barriers to getting those needs identified and assessed. Because the chances are, if they if they've arrived at school and the care experience opportunities to spot and meet needs will have been missed along the way you just think about a child going from a birth family to a foster family to a second or third foster family moving across the country to a permanent placement all the different health visitors and professionals involved um and every time they move they're starting again so straight away as children arrive in school it's what are their needs how can we meet their needs and i think there are a lot of buzzwords that go around about trauma-informed and attachment aware, and everyone's not always really sure what those things mean, but it really just means know what trauma is, know that it can impact children and adults, actually, for the long term, uh, neurologically, um, emotionally, developmentally, in lots of different ways. Be aware of that and be curious then uh, because of that. Um, I think often people will say things like, well, behaviour is communication, and other people will say, well, that sounds ridiculous to me. <laughs> You know, it doesn't, and I think when I was a teacher, I'm not sure I would have understood what that meant. Um, but sometimes underlying behavior or driving behaviors, and sometimes externalizing behaviors, or like quiet, shy internalizing behaviors, there can be all kinds of complexity uh, going on under the surface. And we know that exposure to trauma in early life it impacts a massive range of developmental areas, uh, threat processing, uh, something called biographical memory processing who would know what that is but what that basically means is children who've experienced trauma are going to remember the bad things that happened to them far more than they remember the good things that happened to them because if you think about that in terms of encouraging children in schools to try new things and learn new things they remember those experiences of failure far more strongly than their experiences of success uh, threat processing reward processing sensory processing executive control speech and language all of these things can be negatively, impact, negatively impacted by early childhood trauma. So being curious about why children are doing what they're doing, why are they learning in that way or not learning in that way, is really the very first step, is to just, is to have an open mind and a curious mind. Um, and, and 
and have in mind that you're probably going to have to, yes, provide some extra support for that child, whatever it looks like. I mean, I could talk about this for about an hour and a half. We don't have an hour and a half, but yeah. Yeah, I guess just picking up what you said there, with children with this kind of history within the care system um, or care experienced, I assume that there's going to be a more transient nature to it. Um, if they're moving from foster home to foster home or, or you know, um different aspects of the care system. Now, if they've, they've got these maybe more specific needs or maybe less diagnosed needs, that's a massive issue, isn't it? Because there's there's such a delay in getting um, support for those students anyway at the moment. Those services are really stretched. You hear things like sort of 12-month, 18-month waiting lists um, to get consultancies. But also in terms of having a parent or a carer sign off on permissions for them to do that but if you're moving from foster home to foster carer foster carer i guess in school to school that just massively delays that process even more and you could have you know students getting well into their secondary school yeah before that process even starts i mean that is absolutely true and i think when we look at the nature of the special educational needs and disabilities that are recorded I don't have any evidence of this, but the thing that always strikes me is look at the proportion of, the, of these care experienced children with SEMH or social, emotional and mental health needs as their primary area of need. How many of those children actually have a speech and language communications need or undiagnosed autism or undiagnosed, you know, other things that, that maybe they've struggled with for a very long time? Um, and that haven't haven't been picked up on, not because of anybody's fault, but like you say, because of sometimes the the movement through the system and things just not getting picked up on. And and of course, if you're struggling in school day after day, if you are perhaps bullied, if you are experiencing school as a place of failure and fear, you, you probably would develop social, emotional and mental health issues. I feel like I would. Um, and I think what you what one of the things that we try and talk about a lot when we're using this term trauma informed is to try to recognize that the the drivers of the, the reasons why children do the things they do or behave the way that they do are sometimes complicated. If you think of a child that's experienced domestic violence, for instance, they maybe they've got a frightening, let's say, parent, um, lots of shouting, anger, maybe some violence maybe directed towards the child or maybe not. The child is frightened. Very quickly, a young child will learn to recognize the the early signs of danger and respond to those and you know in that setting those kinds of behaviors are really well adapted to that situation they're survival behaviors that are going to keep a child safe you bring the child out of that situation and put them in i don't know a busy classroom with 29 other children in it and people coming and going all of the little threatening things um that would cause these children to respond with danger signals they're happening all of the time and so those behaviors then we would call them maladaptive. It sounds like it's an awful term, but these are behaviours that work well in one situation and really don't work well in another. And so um, to get back to what you were saying, sorry, the, the the delay in picking up on some of these things, that the experiences that children have over and over again in school, which are often not that positive, it leads towards a way of behaving in school that is a survival behaviour that had things been different, may have turned out differently. 10, 15 years down the line, a long time after the child, particularly with previous looks after children, these behaviours are still being used to survive. But the care experience is a long time ago and everyone's sort of forgotten. So people are just seeing 
a kind of outrageous child uh, or a child that's doing outrageous things and not necessarily linking it to all the experiences the child's had, the cumulative nature of those experiences, especially where um, difficulties and issues haven't been noticed and, and picked up on and dealt with really early on. Yeah, I've seen this. I've seen um, a, like I've seen it a few times in rugby where you're teaching students to tackle each other and a student tackles the other student correctly and the other student, they lose it. They, they flip. They, they, they see it as an act of aggression against them. And you, the first time you see it, you kind of go, whoa, that was really bizarre because that's, but like you said, it's that level of anxiety and kind of being on edge and, and seeing everything as a threat due to kind of previous trauma as well. And this Arthur, is really to... important, actually, because that is exactly the kind of scenario that we can be talking about, a completely normal interaction at school that takes place that one child re reacts to in a very reactionary way, really unexpected. And this is the way that these kinds of trauma responses can, can compound, actually, because what can happen then is the, the child gets disciplined by the teacher maybe even thrown off the team you know how does the child respond does the child respond by shouting at this other kid pushing them right because the child's experiencing this is a highly threatening situation and may respond to protect themselves from what their nervous system is telling them is a significant threat even though if you were feel if you were being rational you'd know it wasn't but rationality is out the window your brain's in fright fright um freeze and all this you know adrenaline's going through you so maybe this kid pushes the child that tackled them knocks them down, does something really unacceptable, maybe that child then is off the rugby team. And then for that child, a, a really important set of relationships that may have been in place to give them the relational support and the belonging, which is so vital, especially at secondary school to children doing well in school, an opportunity for belonging and being part of something which would have supported them is gone. And so it's almost like they become their own worst enemies. And so sometimes just taking a breath before addressing these serious issues, which need to be addressed. But sometimes if we can take a breath and find a way to repair and move on with that, um, that can prevent a child from spiralling further down into an even more destructive kind of cycle. And it's difficult as a as a human being when you haven't experienced that yourself. Like I come from a, a background with a family where there's a lot of these stuff that these kids have gone through that I I, I cannot understand. I can read about it. I can talk about it. I can train about it, but I can't understand. And is it about, Becky, is it about me acknowledging to myself that I can't understand that and going away and trying to find someone who can kind of understand that or go away and talk to charities or organisations? Like a teacher in that situation that Mike described, what, sh what should they do outside of their school behaviour policy systems and all that? What can, what can they do? I think a lot of what is most important in our schools is rooted in the relationships that we all have with one another in our schools, isn't it? Um, when you're a teacher, you were teaching through the medium of relationships. Um, it, it's a different kind of relationship, teacher to pupil. It's not like a parent-child relationship. It's not like a friendship relationship. But there is a relationship there. And for children, especially care-experienced children, those in the care system who may experience a lot of instability, the teachers they see at school, if you go to secondary school, the same one for five years, you will see teachers there day after day after day. You might change your foster home two or three times in that five years, but those teachers will still be there and will still be available for you. And so I think at the most basic level, the, what we certainly don't want is teachers to feel like they need to start to engage in amateur therapy, like nobody needs, nobody needs amateur therapy. But I think the quality of relationships for children to feel seen 
to, for children to feel that they are known and valued. So he's, he's, you know, speaking their name, checking in with them. How was that thing at the weekend? Or oh, you were off last week. It's really great to have you back in class. These could be some really simple things that focus on um, strengthening the quality of relationships that are being had. Um, and that's not in order that the teacher can become the child's friend or confident, actually. It gives the child a secure base from which they can move on to try some new things. It helps them to feel secure and held in mind. Um, and, and it increases their sense of psychological safety. One of the key things of what we might call trauma-informed is, is about not only physical safety, but psychological safety for children. Uh, and when children feel psychologically safe, then then really they're much more able to learn, aren't they? If they're always, if they're stressing out all day, they're not really learning in your classroom anyway. Um, so small things that build up those relationships appropriately um, can be really important. And we know, don't we, that schools need, what what is it that, you know, it sometimes appears on Twitter, doesn't it? Schools have rules. Uh, and that's right, because schools need to be safe places for everybody. So if a child shoves another child on the floor during a rugby lesson, you can't just ignore that. Absolutely not. You can't just be going, oh, it's fine for pushing children on the floor. That's not OK. Schools do have rules. And actually, children who've experienced trauma absolutely need um, those safe and boundaried situations to be in. They can't cope with chaos. Um, but but um, I think it was Jarlath O'Brien wrote in one of his books, it was either Jalath O'Brien or Paul Dix, I can't remember which, but wrote something like, some children follow the rules and some children follow people. Um, and as teachers, we can be the people that can inspire children to keep going, you know, and to do more and to expect more of themselves uh, in a way that rules don't always sometimes manage, even though we still have to have them. And is it sometimes when we, we talk about those rules and we apply those rules and we go through our policies and procedures, but taking a moment to actually sit down with the child and say like, this is what's going to happen because this rule has been broken. But let's still take a moment to talk about why that reaction happened or why that happened. So, again, going back to Mike's situation, uh, like like this is going to happen. This is the consequence. But let's still take that moment to kind of acknowledge why that happened. Mike, you want to come in there? Yeah, I was going to say, as a someone who's trained in trauma perceptive practice, it is um, one of the things that, that we really talked about on that course was, that you don't adapt your school rules for for students. You still follow that school rule, but it's then the aftercare that's put in. Like you said, Arthur, it's, it's what you then step in with to then deal with that situation to stop it happening again for that individual as well. Yeah, I think there are I think there are two aspects of this. There is de-escalating. There is de-escalating and preventing escalation. So I think once things have started to get a bit, you know fiery let's say um the response of the teacher can can de-escalate or prevent escalation or it can actually escalate and when children are responding thinking back to the child on the rugby pitch when the child lashes out in absolute fear and just out of a total re reaction response they're not they're not rationally thinking so so at that second at that moment trying to have a rational conversation about consequences rules and all of that stuff is just not going to land because they're not listening to you they're in like some they're in a kind of um fight mode uh, and until they have calmed and, and are more regulated um, that conversation isn't going to land the conversation needs to be had but we might call it a deferred conversation so this is going to happen we're going to have a conversation about consequences or the rules or whatever it is and this is what's going to happen next and we'll lay it out but you probably aren't going to have it 
within five seconds of the incident occurring. You know, the first thing that needs to happen for that child is they need to become regulated in order to avoid escalating the situation further for themselves and for other people. And so teachers that are able to calmly manage the situation in a way that prevents escalation or even de-escalates um, are really important. And I think sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about exclusion and children going to isolation rooms or different places. Do you know, we all understand, anyone that's been in a secondary school classroom understands that sometimes a child cannot be in the classroom right now, right? There are times, aren't there? Uh, and, um, and, I get frustrated by the, what about the other 29 comments? But to be fair, there are 29 other children and a member of staff, at least one, and everybody's safety needs to be prioritised as well. So so we might remove children from situations, but I think the, the difference is, is, the thought, is the thought we put into what removing them to, what the purpose is of the removal, what we're going to do during that time of removal, what are we aiming towards? Because what we're aiming towards is a child who is quickly regulated, able to have that conversation with you calmly about what just happened there and what will need to happen next. And then for me, ideally, goes back to the classroom to start learning. Because if you are struggling in school and you're finding school a difficult place, missing hours and hours of classroom time is not going to help with that. Because when you return to the classroom day or two days later, you're behind, you don't know what's gone on, you know, and all of those feelings of fear of you're going to be you won't know the answer they're going to see that you can't do it everyone's going to it, it, they all come back to the surface and i think it can very quickly become a repeating cycle so yes the the boundaries and the rules are there but it's it's to do with the timing of when we have the conversation the support that we might need to put in place if we identify that there is a driver for that behavior that we could actually do something about and the the purpose of what those consequences are what are we doing by applying these consequences because the purpose always wants to be for me to support the child towards the behaviour that you want to see and to have them belonging in the classroom and belonging in their lessons as much as possible and as soon as possible. So we don't start a spiral of, of um, you know, of, of just going downhill in terms of feeling like you're a failure, falling further behind, um, which, which can all prompt even more of the behaviour you, you were struggling with in the first place. And it's probably important we acknowledge here that we've we've spoke about an example where a student has lashed out kind of violently, but I'm sure there are a huge percentage of care experienced students who that their their kind of their background comes out in other ways, not in kind of those physical violence. I know I've worked with students who just completely disappear in the classroom, like they just turn away. It's just important we kind of acknowledge there's really important care experienced children they are all going to deal with these incredibly hard situations in different ways and everything we spoke about today is kind of just acknowledging their backgrounds and bringing that into how we work as with them as educators that's really important arthur i interviewed a young lady once for um some adoption uk research and she was a she was a fantastic young woman actually really articulate but she had managed to get through most of secondary school in the toilets she just really hid in the toilets and at the end of it really she was pretty much functionally illiterate and enumerate she she was she'd really learned very little and she said this herself but these, these were her strategies that she she didn't act out she was never in trouble at school she never she never pushed anybody over or anything like that she hid she hid all of the time she never put a hand up to say that she didn't know what she was doing. She copied other children's work. This is what she told me. She was copying all the time to try and make it look like she knew what she was doing. But she 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 really struggled. 
And so the, um, and I think we often miss these internalizing behaviors from children. And we see children that are quiet, maybe very compliant, but but extreme compliance can be another response um, to to trauma and attachment difficulties, really. And sometimes um, that can result in children being fine all day in school. Fine. They were fine all day. And then going home and being the absolute opposite of fine. Um, and I think some people have described it as like a Coke bottle being shaken up all day. And then they go home and you take the lid off and it is all over the house. And I think um, I think back to when I was a teacher, I don't, I, I think it's something that could be quite difficult to understand how a child could be quiet, compliant, appear to be getting on with work all day in the class. And then the parents come in to tell you that school is a problem. But to your eyes, school looks like anything but the problem. Um, you know, but it is this kind of deferred explosion that's occurring when the children are getting home and they're letting out all of these feelings uh, in a place where where they do feel hopefully safe. Becky, it's one of those conversations you said we could be here in about three, four hours to still talking about this. Um, it's been really humbling and really, uh, really interesting having you on the pod, Becky. I've learnt a lot already. Let's say we've got some teachers, educators, school leaders who are listening to this and going like, do you know what? This has sparked something. I need to go away. I need to think about this. I need to go away and do some research. I need to go away and look at some stuff. Where can they go? Where where should they go? Well, there's a lot of places. I mentioned the BBC Teach resources earlier. Um, Which and are I'm not excellent. Just, they are oh, excellent. Yeah, I'm not just plugging it because I happen to be on it. <laughs> Although I am on it, you know. Um, but it's not just about that. Um, I think those are they're a really fantastic place to start. They're really bite-sized, they really, but they still get into the issues. That they, They're great for a twilight, you know, because they're kind of 20 minutes and then you could have some conversation about it afterwards. And most importantly, more important than anything, they include the voices of care experienced young people talking about what school was like for them. And I think, you know, oftentimes it is a lot of adults sitting down talking about education and what it should be like and how we can improve education. Um, but sometimes I just think I'd like to hear some more children and young people talking about these things. So I would I would definitely start there. Um, Adoption UK, we have a lot of information um, available on our website. There, there are other organisations as well that support care experience children and young people. Um, I could direct you to Kinship for um, Kinship Care Families. Um, Become is an excellent resource for care experienced children and young people themselves. Um, so there are there are good organisations out there doing those kinds of things. Um, but I'd start with the BBC Teach. They're a good watch, 15 minutes apiece. It's a great place to start. And if I remember, you can watch the videos and on the same web page are all the links to all these awesome organisations who do all yeah, this work. Absolutely. So it's all in that absolutely. place. Ideal and for that, twilight. Yeah, and that link is in the episode notes and it'll be on Twitter for anyone who wants to go away and listen to it. Um, Becky, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, a real pleasure having you on Teen Teaching. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, everyone else will be back momentarily. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. Arthur, just summarise that conversation for us. You used the word humbling very early on, Mike, and that's how I kind of summarise that pod. Thank you so much for Becky for giving up her time, but a really humbling conversation about some students that maybe unfortunately we often talk about in... Um, in meeting rooms uh, about statistics and sometimes we forget to listen to the child's voice and I would really uh, say what Becky said there about those those BBC Teach videos where we hear the child's voice they are really powerful videos so please do go away and watch those. Thanks very much to our listeners for listening and thank you to Becky from Adoption UK.